Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com and follow on Twitter at phlsportsnation and follow the Sixers branch of Philadelphia Sports Nation at PHL Sixers Nation. Support for this episode of Garbage Into Gold is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And let me tell you this. You know, years and years ago, I used to use the same electric razor for down there that I did for my beard. And you know that razor burn that you get? You know, inexperienced as I was back then, it was one of those things where I just figured I could go for it and it would be fine. But I got some some nasty cuts, a burn here and there. But uh, I don't have to worry about that anymore because I have Manscaped. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer so you don't have to deal with any of this kind of stuff. The engineering team from Manscaped spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. And if you're listening to this podcast and curious about it, that's all right. We got a deal for you. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PHL. All right. So in this episode, I will be shortly joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch. The Sixers have wrapped up their three scrimmage games against the Grizzlies, Thunder, and Mavericks, and we are looking ahead to their first game of the resumed regular season against the Indiana Pacers. So we'll talk about some takeaways from the scrimmage game, what the rotation could look like following the performances from different starters and bench players, and a little bit more on Joel Embiid's health. You know, he missed the final two scrimmage games with calf tightness so hopefully he'll be ready to go when the Sixers resume the season thanks again for tuning in and let's get into this episode of Garbage into Gold Garbage into Gold going on everybody welcome into another episode of garbage into gold i'm one of your hosts brandon after thanks for tuning in and uh, as always i'm joined by my co-host jesse larch jesse how are you doing i'm doing pretty good um you know basketball's back i think it's the third or fourth episode we've said basketball is back um but now we're at the point where the games will start to matter so we have to look forward to that competitive basketball is back and uh you know the stress and agony that comes with that you know i'm i missed it but i didn't miss it and i'm sure i'll be pulling my hair out watching these games over the next week or two but yeah it's better than not having them 
Well, it seems like we're back into full swing because we certainly had some people questioning Brett Brown coaching in the fourth quarter of a couple of the scrimmage games that they lost. So nice nice to see that Sixers Twitter is back in full form. But um, yeah, I, I, it's nice nice to be back on microphones, as we mentioned before. Apologies for the last two episodes. The sound quality wasn't the greatest, but we were working with what we had. But uh, it's nice to be back and sounding smooth. So why don't we just jump right into things. So the Sixers finished up their three-game scrimmage schedule. They played the Grizzlies, Thunder, and the Mavericks. They went one and two. They beat the Grizzlies in the first game, 90 to 83. Uh, Tobias Harris had a double-double in that one, 15 points, 10 rebounds. Ben Simmons had nine points, seven rebounds, and nine assists in 23 minutes. We got him to see him take two three-point attempts and make one of them. And Joel Embiid uh, pl- played just 13 minutes and scored 10 points to go along with six rebounds. Uh, against the Thunder, the Sixers starters looked really good, but the bench faltered, so they ended up losing 102 to 97. But the starters led the Thunder starters by as much as 24, which was good to see. Another great game from Ben Simmons: 14 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists in 26 minutes. So he was an assist shy of a triple double. Shake Milton, a solid game: 11 points, four rebounds, two assists in 20 minutes, and Alec Burks. 13 points, 6 rebounds, and an assist in 20 minutes. I believe that is, uh, no, it's the next game that Alec Burks had another big one in overtime against the Mavericks. The the Sixers came back after being uh, down for a while in the first half. They came out with a good third quarter run, ended up losing by three in overtime. Tobias Harris finished with 28 points, 11 rebounds. Matisse Thibel, 14 points, 3 steals. Two for five from beyond. Mike Scott, 13 points and 10 rebounds and some very questionable jump shots in 23 minutes. And Alec Burks, who scored, I believe, the Sixers' first eight points or only eight points in the overtime period, finished with 15 points and seven assists. And just a note, Luka Doncic, he scored in the 20s, but he was one for three for two points when Ben Simmons was defending him. So it doesn't matter if it's a scrimmage game or if it's a playoff game. Ben Simmons' defense doesn't look like it has skipped a beat. So that's the rundown that we have. As far as takeaways go, Jesse, I've been talking for a little bit now. So what are your immediate takeaways from the team's first action over the first three games? Obviously, we did not get to see Joel Embiid in anything but the first half of the first game as he's out with some calf tightness. But talk about what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, and everything from the first three scrimmages. Well, I think the first six players on the depth chart looked fantastic. Um, Tobias Harris, I mean, really, really like he might be living up to the contract down there in Orlando. Um, Ben Simmons, you know, didn't have a great game against Dallas, but the other two games he was phenomenal. Um, The shooting kind of disappeared, and we'll talk about that. But it was nice to see him trying to extend his range a little bit. You know, the team defense was great. Um, Al Horford even stepping in, really looking like he's settling into that off-the-bench role which hopefully he stays off the bench and this calf issue with Embiid isn't more than uh, more than it seems to be, you know, and it's nice to see some guys get some minutes. It's clear this team is still figuring out who they are, um, who's going to get the ball. There was a lot of tinkering, a lot of experimenting. 
But overall, it seems like they are committed to Ben Simmons off the ball. Ben Simmons playing as the four. And it looks like it's down to Shake Milton and Alec Burks for that point guard spot. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, a lot of good takeaways, certainly. Obviously, the the first game was very big with regard to Ben shooting two threes. He missed that first one, made the second one. Looked really good, and again, his, his defense didn't really look to have uh, missed a beat. Um, with regard to Embiid, aside from the calf tightness, I, I think that he looked well-conditioned. He didn't look tired or anything in the minutes that he did play. Um, for Tobias Harris, I know that his num- his numbers look good, but I'm I'm still I know that he his shooting percentage wasn't great, and I know they they're rusty and everything. So I'd like to see a little bit more from Tobias Harris. I know 28 points, 11 rebounds against the Dallas Mavericks is good, but I think he's taking some questionable shots. And and uh, earlier in the season, you and I talked about how it seemed like he hesitated a lot before taking a shot, and now I think it's kind of the other way around. I feel like sometimes he's making too quick decisions and taking a shot when somebody else is wide open. I know in the Mavericks game in the first couple of quarters that I got to watch with that one, I believe there were numerous occasions where he either missed Ben Simmons in the corner or Shake Milton cutting behind him after he was driving to the hoop and then double teamed. So he missed one of his teammates being wide open to try and drive to the basket. So I think decision-making wise, it needs a little more work from Tobias Harris. But overall, I feel like he's... Um, bringing that leadership quality that he has off the court to on the court. Uh, And if he scores between 20, 30 points a game, I think that's really all you can ask for from Tobias Harris. Hopefully he gets to 23 or 24, especially in this um, resumed season. But yeah, I'd say otherwise the starters looked okay. We're going to talk about Shake Milton a little bit later I was hoping to see a little bit more from him. I think that uh, getting back into the groove has been a little bit more difficult for him. His three-point shot is really good, but I'm still very on the fence as to whether I think that he should be the guy running the point for the Sixers in the playoffs. And obviously, we are not there yet. But um, yeah, otherwise, I think the rotations were all right. But yeah, that those were my thoughts. Uh with regard to how the games looked, no crowds, the game presentation, the microphones were a little wonky, I think, in the first game or two because they put microphones under the court. But otherwise, I thought the no crowd and the presentation was pretty seamless. It was nice to hear Mark and Allah and Serena back again, and I didn't really have an issue with how everything was laid out. How about yourself? Yeah, I... Uh... You know, I really enjoyed some of the different camera angles they were able to do. There's that one that I think Bleacher Report was really pumping up that was like the camera was on a track level with the floor. And it was almost like you had courtside seats to the game. Yeah. Um, You know, there's going to be, I think there's going to be more fun things they have in store that they've just been testing out. You know, like you, I wasn't crazy about the microphones under the floor. I don't need to hear every single ball bounce and every single step. As far as, you know, I liked how they had the the big wraparound screens to try to emulate it being a Sixers home game. They said they're using the Sixers arena music yeah. when the Sixers are supposed to be home. You know, there's still really no home court advantage in this, but 
those little things like that, I think, are just a nice touch. You know, it gives you something to look at. Um, I think the last, or might have been the Sixers game, might have been a different game, but I did see they had, like, like Zoom people, but they had them, like, cut into seats, so it looked like there was a crowd there. Yeah. Where, like, I don't know if you've watched, like, some of the soccer games and all, where it's just, like, a Zoom room on the screen, whereas this was, like, people's faces put onto seats so it looked kind of like how the Phillies are with their cardboard cutouts only it was digitized um I thought that was pretty cool I mean obviously it's not going to be the same you're not going to get that same energy as you would in a normal playoff scenario or just regular Sixers home game but you know for for what they're stuck with I think they're making the most of it they're doing the best that they can yeah no I agree with you I think one thing I'm curious to ask your opinion about, we talked a little bit about Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Shake Milton. One guy who I feel like we forgot about and that a lot of people probably forgot about when he was out on the court is Josh Richardson. Uh, I believe at some point I sent you a piece written by Jerome Weitzman, the guy that wrote Tanking to the Top. He did a, a little um, sh- much shorter than a book expose on the Sixers and one of the things in there said that Josh Richardson had been frustrated with his role, and it just seems like if I if I were a betting man that that he's more than like he's more likely to be included in an offseason trade or a trade before the deadline next season than he is staying in Philadelphia short or long term because out there on the court I'm I'm just not really sure other than defensively what his role is if Simmons is at the floor Richardson isn't much of an ISO guy you have Shake Milton who's looks like he's a better three-point shooter so Richardson's got the defensive end of things but I feel like offensively uh, there's just not a whole lot there you know six points in the first uh, scrimmage game uh, 10 in the next one and um, in the one against Dallas he scored five on one for seven shooting. So I feel like his role uh, continues to not really be there. And I don't know if it's just a roster construction thing or a Brett Brown, not being able to figure out what position that he is best in, but I'm like, he just doesn't fit. So I think there's a scenario where he fits with this roster. I just don't think it's Brett Brown's offense. Yeah. I think Brett Brown is so stuck in what he wants to do, which is a, you know, space the floor, shoot a lot of three pointers. Like that is Brett Brown's MO. Right. And that doesn't fit Josh Richardson. He's, you know, I think he's best suited as a slasher, a mid range player, a guy that can go and attack the rim, cut behind defenses, really a movement based offense, which the Sixers don't have. The Sixers have very little movement, you know, aside from a pick and roll and, you know, a screen to get a shooter open. The Sixers don't really do too much off of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where Josh Richardson gets lost because he's not a guy that just wants to catch and shoot or can catch and shoot. And even Tobias Harris, to an extent, we saw him struggle with that transition when he came over last year. And really, even through the early parts of this year where, you know, I think Brett's given Tobias a little bit more of a leash to let Tobias Harris be Tobias Harris. And we've seen him have some nights where he takes over and he looks a lot more comfortable and he takes command of the game. I don't see Josh Richardson getting the same type of leeway that Tobias Harris has gotten and deserves. 
um, you know, Josh Harris, Josh Richardson was a guy coming in. Like, I think his scoring numbers improved every year. It was like three or four straight years. He set a new career high. And it's kind of a shame that the Sixers wasted that and didn't cater to it a little bit. You know, I know before the season, we talked a lot about just on paper, the amount of different things you could run with that personnel. And it is disappointing to kind of see the team just stick to the same thing they've always done to limited success this season. Yeah. And his career average is is 12.4 points per game. This season, he's averaging 13.8 before everything shut down. But, you know, if... I guess if you looked through it as in the lens of he he was more or less in 2018-19 and 2017-18 one of Miami's if not Miami's like go-to scorers, right? Yeah, I mean he was behind, you know, Dwayne Wade and Yeah. Um I forget who else they've had recently, probably Goran Dragic. Yeah, so but, I mean yeah, he, he was averaged... he was definitely a guy that like they gave him some ball handling responsibilities and you know, I mean, Miami was really a team built on the fact that they didn't have a single guy, that they didn't rely on anybody, that they were kind of make your own chances. Yeah. Um, and Richardson's a guy who embraced that, just like Justice Winslow was. Tyler Johnson did the same thing. You know, that was a team where any night somebody could come in and have the big night for you, where the Sixers, it was going to be the same three guys every night. Right. And uh, they kind of got stuck into that, I think. Yeah, and he's shooting better from the floor, uh, not as good from beyond the arc. He's obviously taking less shots, being in an offense ruled by Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you with regard to him just not fitting in Brett Brown's offense. And I think Brett has done a little bit to shy away to from, like, the dribble handoffs that he did with J.J. and Joel all the time. You still see it here and there with Furkan. Uh, and and even shake Milton at points, but um, I feel like Josh Richardson. I, I'm not sure I love him running the point because I feel like it's just putting him there because there's nowhere else to put him. Um, so I feel like he has maybe like a some ISO skills, but aside from his defense, I don't ever think that he's gonna gonna be a guy on any team really that averages. 20 a game or or maybe even 18 you know he averaged 16 just over 16 and a half last year and he's just under 14 this year so it's not that big of a slump but it seems like he's just again having trouble finding where he fits most so yeah maybe it's Brett Brown but I I do think that he could be a very interesting trade chip for them if they look to kind of rework the roster uh, in the offseason he could be. I mean, you know, this next month here will definitely determine a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you know, part of the appeal of Josh Richardson is for what he is as a player, he's on a very reasonable deal. Yeah. So I think that deal expires in like a year or two, but you still have him under contract for next season. And, you know, given the Sixers cap struggle or what's going to be a big cap struggle, you know, can you really afford to let guys of that level leave if you have them under control yeah just because whatever you get back you know you might find a better fit but it won't be the same level player like you probably won't get a guy that could start for almost any team in the league which i think josh richardson is um you know i i just like i said i think it's a big fit issue like you're saying how 
you know, we've seen Brett adjust pieces of the offense to certain players as the year has gone on, but it's very much still predicated on the ability to shoot threes. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't get given the talent this team has, given the advantage of them being so much bigger than everybody else. But, you know, I guess a leopard can't change its spots, and that's kind of, you know, you can throw fault on Brett, on Elton Brand for getting a guy that just didn't make sense for what Brett wants to do, or uh, both of them. But, you know, I would agree that the Josh Richardson move hasn't lived up to the hype that I think we both expected. Yeah. Um, you know, I still think he's a good player. I still think he can contribute to the team. It'll just be interesting to see if they use him any differently here on this little stretch. Yeah. So one of the, the biggest change going into these scrimmages has been the focus on Ben Simmons. He's been, well, not the focus. He's, he's always been a focus for, for Sixers fans and, and everyone else, national media, what have you. But, uh, you know, Brett Brown leading into the scrimmages led us to believe that he was going to be willing to shoot. And we've gone down this road so many times before, but in the first game against the Memphis Grizzlies, we saw him without hesitation, go up and take a, a pair of threes. Now, I don't believe that he took one against the Thunder or the Mavericks, but uh, you could see him spacing the floor a little bit more, even even though he didn't shoot a three-pointer in any of the rest of the, like any of the other two games. I feel like you could see him spacing the floor in the corner and uh, using really use it being used in the pick and roll at the elbow. So I feel like there's definitely been changes in how he's being used. And then once shake Milton subs out, he kind of takes over the role that he did before. But I would imagine that Simmons maybe uh, didn't shoot any threes because Joel Embiid wasn't there. So I feel like with Embiid down low, uh, Simmons can spread the floor a little bit more when you have a Horford that can shoot the three a little bit uh, you know, historically for his career, uh, perhaps it was just a different look for them. And, and and Simmons, you know, didn't shoot with Embiid out there. I don't really know. I'm just making things up as I go. <laughs> but uh, what what were your thoughts on, on Ben's form that you saw, kind of his aggression through the three games? And are you to the point where you think that he's going to let it fly during these uh seeding games or do we expect him to kind of stay reserved as he's normally been but also trying to space the floor uh visually i don't know if he's gonna let it fly i would like to see that the ben we saw against memphis who not even shooting threes but shooting you know 12 15 footers and just being willing to put the ball up um you know i thought he looked phenomenal against Memphis on both ends of the court. Um, I caught part of the OKC game. Obviously, he had the, the traditional Ben stat line in that one. And then I didn't really see much of the Dallas game last night. Um, you know, again, looking at the box score, doesn't look too impressive of a night, but it's also like those games didn't matter at all. I think the Memphis game, you definitely saw Ben loose and just thinking, let me go work on some things. Let me try this out. And then it, it even kind of feels like throughout the three games, just for the whole team, they kind of got away from that looseness in the first game against Memphis because, I mean, the way they played that first half was like, honestly, the best basketball the Sixers have played all season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it tapered off as we went through the next two games. I don't know if it was just the excitement of being back or what, 
but you know, we look at these eight games coming up and I think we said before how they're kind of meaningless for the Sixers here. You know, it's going to be a really odd scenario if they move up or down at all in the standings. You know, it would cause someone to totally collapse for the standings to change from where they're at right now, I think. So with that being said, it's basically an extended preseason. You know, Brett can still figure out his rotation, still implement some new things. My only concern is not even a concern, but my only question about it is are the Sixers or Ben in particular thinking, let's keep this under wraps until the playoffs. So we can kind of throw a curveball at teams from a game plan standpoint. Yeah, that doesn't or, make a whole lot of sense, though, I feel like. I agree, I, but I could see it. I could see them trying that. Um, but I would like to see him, you know, get continue to get more comfortable shooting the ball. Um, maybe it is like you said, maybe it's more emphasized when Embiid's out there with him. All in all, I mean, I think we've always all agreed, even though I, I've maintained Ben is still a great player without the jumper. We can all agree he'd be so much more hard to stop if he adds one to his game. And I think, you know, I think we're getting close to it based off, you know, the, the rogue videos and just that game against Memphis you know, I'm thinking maybe we get that version of Ben here in the playoffs. We love to see him take that next step. You know, there's a report that he met with a sports psychologist to get himself in the right state of mind to do it. But then since that report, he hasn't shot a single three. So <laughs> it's hard, so hard to figure out yeah. what Ben Simmons is going to do. But if he comes out shooting, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't shoot some more, at least over the next eight games, maybe he'll go back into his shell when the games count in the playoffs, which I hope he doesn't. But, you know, maybe just the looseness of Orlando will get to him and he'll go out there and he'll just put the ball up. That would be ideal. I, I don't know if it's a guarantee, though. It's it's really like a flip of the coin with him at this point. <laughs> yeah. So one of the other things that we wanted to talk about, I don't know actually how much there is to talk about it, but obviously yeah, over the past few years as many years as Joel Embiid has been in the NBA his health has always been uh, a question and that remains true today so we saw him in the first half of the opening scrimmage against Memphis last Friday and have not seen him since due to calf tightness Alec Burks or not Alec Burks Glenn Robinson and Howell Neto also nursing injuries listed as day-to-day Uh, I was reading an Inquirer article this morning where Brett Brown uh, expects Embiid to be good to go on Saturday, but it's it's far from him being 100%. But at least to me, this this looks like they're just being precautionary. He looked in good shape, and I myself, maybe I'm just trying to be more optimistic about this and Ben Simmons' willingness to shoot, but... Uh, I'm I'm remaining optimistic that he's going to be okay, and they're just kind of keeping him, making sure that they keep him strong for the opener and that he's good to go moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with if he was if he wasn't that severe, I wouldn't have kept him out of the games. I would have gave him you know another ten minute night here, ten minute night there, just to get his feel back. But you know, from the sound of things, like you said, it doesn't seem like it's going to really hold him out. It's just anytime you see Joel Embiid's not playing, you know, your your mind goes to the worst. And like we said, this from all accounts, that's not the case here, but it is the Sixers and their medical staff. And 
you know, who knows what's going on actually, but you know, it's disappointing that we couldn't get to see him, but we're, we're kind of used to it at this point. It yeah. was just like, it was a real tease because he did look really good against Memphis. He looked fresh. He looked, you know, everybody's saying how good a shape he's in. And, you know, I'm excited about the prospect of, like you're saying, with Ben Simmons spacing the floor a little bit more, Embiid getting more room down in the paint to really operate and just bully people, which it looks like he's ready to do. You know, even even in those 10, 12 minutes he played against Memphis, like that was the Embiid that everyone's worried about. I think that we saw against Memphis. Granted, it was only Memphis and Jonas Valanciunas, but yeah, it was still very, very nice to see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, the last, the second to last thing that we have to talk about is the Shake Milton situation. I don't know if it's really a situation, but Shake Milton has uh, been the starting point guard for the Sixers these three scrimmages, and I would be very surprised if he wasn't the starting point guard for at least the first few games in the resumed regular season. But uh, his, I mean, his performance has been okay. It's not been anything to write home about. You know, I think he needs to put on some more muscle and, and really use strength to his advantage because it looks like he can be an ISO guy. He can shoot the three and also create his own shot, but I don't think he's necessarily strong enough to create it in specific situations. So we saw Shake Milton through the three games, averaged uh, 7.3 points, uh, shot okay from three. In the first game, he shot one for three from beyond. Second game, he shot three for six. And in the third game, he shot one for two. So I feel more confident when it comes to him shooting the three ball. He has a nice form and everything. But Alec Burks also looked good, and he was a guy that I believe in our previous episode that you and I, maybe he doesn't make the rotation, but he's a guy that uh, looked really good. 11.6 points, 4.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists in just over 20 minutes a game. Now, for me personally, I think you stick with Shake. And unless it gets really bad, I don't think that you're sacrificing anything really big defensively between the two. Uh, and I feel like Burke's minutes came mostly against the other team's backups. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if if you have a thought of starting an Alec Burks. I'm not sure how he would pair with the rest of the starting lineup. But um, I think he's definitely staked a claim to have a spot in Brett Brand Brett Brown's original ten man rotation before it eventually goes down to nine or eight for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean I, I really like Shake. I do think the whole make him into the starting five conversation's been really forced. You know, the game against the Clippers was obviously phenomenal, but aside from that, he's had like one or two other really strong games and everything else is just kind of like typical of a bench player that he's done in terms of his production. Yeah. Um, you know, granted the Sixers are trying to make a change to the game plan to the way they operate, you know, and you know, so far through these, these, uh, scrimmages, it has seemed to be for the positive with moving Ben into the paint and letting him operate down there where he's a little, seems a little bit more comfortable. Um, but then that did leave the whole of, well, who's going to run point. So you're down to Alec Burks and shake Milton. Um, the whole team is behind shake Milton, which I think is a great thing. I think, you know, if you asked the room, they would all say, no, let shake start. 
um, which speaks tons about him and what the guys around him see in him. I do think there's an element where Shake is still gaining his confidence and kind of getting his sea legs under him, where he's not entirely settled into that role yet, right? Like he all year he's been coming off as a two or a three, playing as a wing player, a shooter, not really getting the ball in his hands as much. Where now he's going to be asked to do that almost exclusively, you know. So I think there's still like these eight games for Shaker going to be crucial. I agree he'll be in that starting five, he'll get every opportunity. It's just going to be will he seize it? And I think Alec Burks doing what he did in preseason or the scrimmages, whatever they're called, I think it puts enough heat on Shake where he knows he can't get comfortable. Now whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for him mentally. I don't know because we don't really know enough about Shea because he's so fresh to the team. Like, it's only his second year, but we've hardly seen him. Yeah. So, you know, it's we'll see what he's kind of made of here. You know, can he stand up playing 30 minutes a night against NBA starters? That kind of thing, which I think is going to be really fascinating to watch. You know, he's shown he has the ability to do it. It's just can he do it consistently? Right. And I think that's what we need to learn about Shea. Yeah, I think – all in all, for me with Shake, it's it's good to see the Sixers kind of committing themselves to developing one of their drafted players. And I know in previous years, we've seen with Ben and Joel, those are top of the draft guys. It didn't work out with Markel. But uh, it's nice to see them kind of investing themselves in developing Shake, who looked good in the G League. It was a guy that they drafted in the second round. And as you mentioned earlier, their cap space is just not what you want it to be. So unless they shed big contracts, they're going to need contracts like shake and other late first round and early second round picks to really fill in the roster over the next couple of years. So, um, yeah, I, I think him starting is, is a good thing for now. And, um, you know, if, if things go South, I would be interested to see if Brett just put somebody else in that spot or just, um, puts Ben back in the primary primary ball handler role and then just fills around Ben. So that kind of segues us into the rotation starting lineup at this point, going into the eight game seating schedule looks to be shake Jay rich Tobias, um, Ben and Embiid Horford would be the sixth man. And then you probably have four other spots to start with for now. Um, because it's probably going to start as a 10-man rotation and then go down to maybe 9 or 8. And I think, I don't know how many locks there are other than Horford. I think Mike Scott has played his way out of it, but his experience might come into into handy at one point or another. Kyle O'Quinn uh, and, and Norvell Pell, barring injury, are not going to be in there. So that leaves uh, Korkmaz, Thibault, Burks, Robinson and uh you know Howell Neto who's who's been a Brett guy for for most of the year so looking at looking at the rotation I know that we have not seen them play meaningful games now but how do you think it all shakes out so I agree with the five I agree that Horford will be the six man um I think Brett wants a nine-man rotation but it will ultimately end up being a 10-man rotation and I say that because I don't think there's enough size on the bench to kind of make up for, you know, replacing a four and a five. 
you know, you can try to construct the minutes how you want with Horford playing four and five, but I think they'll be better suited having another guy that can go inside if need be available and fresh and in rhythm for that rotation. So I think right now I would have it as Horford six man. Um, I'd probably have Burks seven, Thibel eight, Corkmaz nine. And then I'm going to say the guy you said played himself out of it and say Mike Scott. Scott over Robinson. Well, because Glenn Robinson, I mean, I don't know if he was sick or not for the final game. Didn't play in it. Yeah, he he Um, was uh, injured, injured hip hip pointer, I think. So the the only and I think Larry Robinson can get minutes too because he's shown he can step in catch and shoot, which yeah. I think he has some of the best catch and shoot numbers in the league actually, but he hasn't shown it with the Sixers yet. He did hit a couple in that game against Memphis, yeah, which was good to see. Um, and I know Mike Scott was catching a lot of flack from people on Twitter, you know, saying like, "Oh, I can't believe they gave him the mid level exception or stuff like that." Like it's a lot of money. Like they gave him a ten year deal. Yeah. You know, which that's a whole different thing people get upset about. But I do think, and we saw it last year in the playoffs, what Mike Scott kind of meant to this team, that that grit, that toughness, and with the Sixers still being so young, you know, with Ben Simmons is not – Ben Simmons I don't think is afraid to step up to someone. But, you know, do you really want Embiid and Simmons being the guys having to deal with a Marcus Morris or something like that? No. You'd rather have – a guy like Mike Scott be the one to take, you know, use his fouls and things like that. Not saying you're going to employ a goon or an enforcer, but Mike Scott, in terms of what this team likes to do offensively, he can shoot the ball. He can get hot from three, you know, his demeanor, I think is perfect for the playoffs, just in the sense that I don't think there's any of that too big for the moment for him. I don't think he gets scared. He's never afraid to pull the trigger, which, you know, can get him in trouble, but it can also be a good thing because we've said before how often this team looks gun shy. Yeah. Where with Mike Scott and, you know, Cork Maz too, but with Mike Scott, there's none of that second thought. He gets yeah. the ball. He has a shot at the rim. He's going to put it up. Now, you know, when you have a player like that, it's a lot like J.R. Smith. Like you take your, you take the misses with the makes. And I think Mike Scott, I'm not saying he's going to go in and play 20 minutes a night, but say, you know, maybe Horford has a mismatch that night or, you know, there's someone a little too quick or whatever it ends up being or there's foul trouble. You know, you need someone in that rotation that can get inside the paint and survive and bang down there. Yeah. Now, that's not Mike Scott's first position. I know that, you know, I know he's not the most comfortable on the block, but the fact is he can do it. And the only guys on the bench that can are him, Norvell Pell, and Kyle O'Quinn. So of those three, who would you want to put into a playoff game? Probably Mike Scott. And that's all I'm saying with that. I'm not saying he's yeah. you know, the best player. He should he's better than anyone else on the bench. But in terms of just what this team's roster makeup is, there's really no one else coming off the bench that can play the four. Right. So whether someone gets banged up or someone gets foul trouble or whatever it is, I think you do need a guy just with that versatility to go in there and give you some relief there if need be. Right. And I, I think he showed enough times last year that his skill set fits this team, that he gets along with the team from a chemistry standpoint. You know, as frustrated people got with him this year, he did not have his best year shooting, but the first his first go-around, 
in that right after the trade deadline, he shot what 40, 41 percent from three. Yeah. So I mean, I think that player is still there. I think he's just a volume shooter. And like I said, you take the misses with the makes because shooters shoot. And that's I think it's as simple as that with Mike Scott because he goes out there, gets red hot. All of a sudden he goes what you know, four of seven from three. Yeah. And then you got twelve points real quick off the bench, which he's very capable of doing. You know, again, I have him at the bottom of that rotation. I have him as a situational player. You, you know, you probably won't even see every game in that scenario in my head. But I do think he'd be important to include just because he can play the four. Yeah. I I don't disagree with you. I guess just seeing what we've seen from Brett Brown over the previous years, I feel like he likes sticking to his rotation unless it's necessary to go outside of it. And... I know that one of his issues has been, you know, mid-game, especially with regard to the playoffs up until last year when he just gave Jimmy the ball and took it out of Ben's hands, is I would, I guess it would surprise me unless things got really bad or they needed like a kick in the pants when he used to put in, put in like a TJ McConnell or something like that. But I don't know, in my opinion, I think that it's going to be a nine-man rotation, but there might be a game where Mike Scott plays and there might be a game where Glenn Robinson or Alec Burks plays, because I feel like the big issue or one of the biggest problems with this team has been wing shooting over the years. And I know Mike Scott offers that, but I feel like Glenn Robinson, uh, albeit he's not on the Warriors anymore, I feel more comfortable with him being able to space the floor and him being able to to knock down a three than a Mike Scott because I'm not I just don't feel confident enough in uh, Mike Scott's defense to put him on the block. I mean, if you do, that's fine. I, I to each their own, but I guess like he, he's not big enough size wise or muscular enough to 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 be in the block. And I could be wrong, but again, I, I don't think there's going to be a time where one of Horford or Embiid is not on the floor. And then I assume like Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons would be on the floor with them. So I, I would imagine that uh, if, if Mike Scott's not playing the four and, and they got a center in there at all time, we might see some Tobias Harris at the four, which I'm okay with depending on the matchup. Um, but uh, yeah, I, w- I would probably choose Robinson over, over Scott just, just right now, just because of his shooting I think is more valuable in my opinion. I don't disagree with it. I mean, you know, there's a reason I have him as the 10th guy in a nine-man rotation. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my my main thing, I think about the intangibles, and I'm, you know, just going off of, like, when you get to the intensity of a playoff matchup and things like that, that's where, you know, you look at guys like Glenn Robinson. I don't know if he's played in the playoffs. You know, Cork Maz hasn't. Thibel hasn't. Shake Milton hasn't. You know, Ben Simmons is had taste of it and beads had a taste of it yeah horford's not really like a guy that gets in the mix of things you know he's got plenty of experience and toughness but he's not like a guy that'll mix it up yeah so he's i hope brett based on scenario would make adjustments yeah that's what i would hope that, that's more so what i'm saying is like in the event you get into a game where it gets heated it gets personal you know you have veterans testing your young guys you need a stabilizer. Yeah. You know, you need a guy like Mike Scott who will go in, talk shit back, give the physicality back, you know, and kind of settle everyone down by him not being settled down. 
if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, but just that kind of, you need someone to kind of come in and say, you know, we got this. Like we have that, that fearless attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I do question the mentality of the Sixers team, not saying that they're not tough and they're not, you know, grown men or anything like that, but from just the facing adversity standpoint, like how much have they really faced? Right. You know, no, yeah. so I think, I think you do need someone that knows how to handle those kind of situations because, you know, this is a game born on playgrounds <laughs> and this is a game where that's how players come up. It gets personal. It gets intense. And when it does get that way, you know, do you have someone with a spine to back it up? No offense to Furkan Korkmaz. He doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to jump in the middle of something, you know, or, you know, if someone's, you know, again, a Marcus Morris or a Marcus Smart, those are the guys that keep jumping in my head, you know, start beating down on someone mentally, you know, can they take it? And I think Mike Scott's a good insurance policy in that sense. I'm not saying bring him off the bench right away, give him (laughs) 20 minutes a night. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I'm saying he does bring something that nobody else on that bench has. Aside I, from, I would say I was, Kyle O'Quinn. I was just trying to disagree with you because I feel like we agree on too much. I was trying to be confrontational. So, I mean, I'm over explaining myself because I know I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a noted member of the Mike Scott hive. I'm yeah. a huge Mike Scott fan. So I'm trying to not, I'm trying to make it sound like a justified opinion. Not just, I like Mike Scott and want to see him play. Yeah. Um, which it isn't like everything I said, I do feel, I do think that aspect of the game, it does matter, especially at that point of the year, but I mean, you won't lose sleep over him not playing. No, not at all. Um, I would totally understand the decision to not put him out there. Cause I do think there is plenty of options. Um, you know, it depends which way the Sixers want to play it. If they really go pace, pace and space, then he's the wrong guy to put out there. If they try to play bully ball, I think he's the right guy. You know, it's it's all based on what the Sixers are going to do. I don't see them playing bully ball as much as Brett Brown said it. He's never backed it up. Yep. So I do think you're more likely to see probably Glenn Robinson before Mike Scott. But I do think that point still stands that if there is foul trouble or an injury, Mike Scott's the first man up to go in for one of those big men. Right, yeah. As we said before, it's going to be interesting to see how Brett Brown tinkers with his rotation if he tinkers with it at all. Um, but yeah, so that, that'll wrap up this episode of garbage into gold. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. And of course, I just want to mention, like I did in the introduction, that support for this episode of garbage into gold is brought to you by manscaped the best in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the year, their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping by using the code PHL at checkout. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code PHL. The Sixers have the Pacers in their resume season opener on Saturday, August the 1st. And then they will play the Spurs on Monday, August the 3rd. And we will have a pod following the Monday night game. So probably look for that on Tuesday the 4th. But thanks again for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Garbage Into Gold.